When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Another Watford manager. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there are also some off activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week we've once again got a full house. That means leading the line and wearing the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been since we last spoke? Yeah, really good, thanks, Dan. You know, it's all, it's all rosy in Spurs' world at the moment. Um, we've had some really good football to watch, some good FA Cup games. Um, so, looking forward to getting into this one, mate. Yes, me too. And it also means, after a sterling performance last week, that Fulham fan Matthew Baldwin has kept his place in the starting lineup. Matthew, how are things with you, mate? I'm very good. I'm glad to hear that you lot have been enjoying your football over the weekend because it's very much been... It's very much been the opposite when it comes to Fulham and the tension that is the top end of the championship. Let's just put it that way. Absolutely. That tension is going to build tomorrow night, which we'll get to at the end of the show. But before we do, let's do the social media bits first. As we'll be talking to the Abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at Dan Tracy, nice day Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at Real Football Pod. If you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform... Don't forget to subscribe, and if you like it, leave a review so we move up the league table. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and Audio Boom. Well, the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. Right, it's time to go live. Where should we go first? Let's go to Wembley. And with it being FA Cup semi-final weekend, which has just passed, it turns out we've now got an all-London affair in the final. So, Carl, Arsenal versus Chelsea on August 1st. I get a feeling you might now be busy that evening. I will be washing my hair, um, anything I can think of that day, Dan, you know, um, you know mowing the grass, <laughs> anything but in front of the telly, watching that one. Um, yeah, you've got to give both teams credit, you know. Um, yeah, I think, you know, they both were the kind of underdogs going into the ties um, and both kind of played, you know, relatively well to get the results they did. Um, I thought, you know, obviously... It wasn't the final, I kind of think most people were expecting. I think most people thought we might get the all-Manchester final. But yeah, you've got to give you know those two teams credit. They pulled it off. They've got themselves in the big show at the end of the season and a chance for one of them to win a trophy. I mean, this, this really is a who do you want to win this game. Um, I don't, I'll tell you now, 
you know, neither team magically top of my list for wanting them to win silverware. Uh, but this could be a good open final, to be honest. I mean, like yourself, Cole, I don't have a horse to back in this one. I really don't know. But Matthew, obviously you have your own London bias with you being a Fulham fan. Does that create a level of apathy yourself? Or is the tradition of a cup final still enough of a pull for you to be watching? No, it's it's the FA Cup final. It's still enough, and I, I I can't I can't believe what I'm hearing out of this. I think it may actually have been you, Dan, that mentioned this on Twitter. That there's a touch of 2012 about this because there is a bit of a Spurs angle to this. Because aren't shouldn't you be rather than washing your hair or watching paint dry or whatever it is you are doing, shouldn't you be watching the game and cheering all out for Chelsea to win because <laughs> um, it means that seventh place goes to the um goes uh, gets the European place and Spurs are at the moment seventh. So should you not be cheering Chelsea to win with all your might in what is, you know, the opposite of 2012? Is um, it not you that said that? It was me who said that. Yes, I think I'm going to have to trip up over my own words here. You've got a point in the sense that if Tottenham finish six in the table and um, Arsenal win the FA Cup, Wolves win the Europa League, that would be the axis of evil, which then sees Tottenham, I think, drop out of Europe. But if Chelsea also win the Champions League, which I don't think will happen, strange things have also happened, of course, 2012, then that would... I think, open up another spot. But if we assume that Chelsea don't win the Champions League, I can see the mental gymnastics going around in everyone's head who's listening. But if we assume that's out of the equation, what we, what we don't want is Wolves winning the Europa League, Arsenal winning the FA Cup, because that would be bad news for Spurs. So yes, Matthew, I guess, in a sense, I will have to offer some tangible support to Chelsea. So I have I'd rather a... miss out, Dan. Well, exactly. I'd rather yes, miss out. <laughs> this, this I'll miss to. out. I'll have a year out, thanks. <laughs> well, yes, because, I mean, really, like I say, I don't really want either team to win. If there is some element of giving us a leg up, is it a case of do you really want that leg up? Because then, yes, you might be in the Europa League, but Chelsea are crowing about winning an FA Cup. It's awful, Matthew. But really, if we get back to um, not my quandary, how you're going to be viewing it, will you be viewing it? Um, yes, I will, because it's it's the FA Cup, and I don't want to hear any of this. You know, uh, the cup final loser. I, I'm very much one of the you know the romantics of the FA Cup. Yes, it is. You know, four of the big teams that ended up in the quarterfinals. It just so happened to work out that way. But at the end of the day, it's still the FA Cup. It's still a trophy. I'm sure it's going to be a landmark occasion. And with most things, I'm you know pretty excited to see what what's go you know what's going on uh, frank lampard in his first year at chelsea will he be able to crown it with with a trophy which i think he would very much deserve given the you know the pressure that he's been under and all the obstacles he's had to climb and then and then there's um then there's arsenal who you know i've very much i'm very anti arsenal because i didn't get the fuss of mikel arteta getting the job and the fact that he's associated with pep guardiola means that he's automatically the greatest manager in the world sort of thing so i'm not, I don't want uh, Arsenal to win the FA Cup. I don't want Chelsea to win the FA Cup because of my full thing. But it's still going to be a fantastic showpiece occasion. And you know, both teams have got you know a point to prove, as it were. And that's going to be, and that's going to make for excellent viewing, I think. I mean, I'm being flippant. I will maybe watch the highlights. No, I mean, I'll watch it in some context, but I'm not really like, yes, this is it. Although I will say on Saturday, I didn't watch the game in real time, the first semi-final, Arsenal versus Manchester City. I thought, what I'll do, I'll keep it secret and make it a bit of a sort of condensed surprise. So just as the programme starts, Gabby Logan hands over that and you can see a massive beaming grin on Alex Scott's face. And I thought, do you know what? Arsenal have won this and they did. But let's get to the games themselves because let's be honest, Cole, no one would have seen Arsenal pulling that off. You mentioned about being underdogs. They achieved that exact same feat in 2017 against Manchester City. And who did they beat in the final? Chelsea. So I guess the omens are good, if nothing else. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we spoke about this when um, the semi-final draw was made, wasn't we? And we kind of, we wrote Arsenal off, didn't we? We said, well, let's face it, City have already got, you know, one hand on the trophy because, you know, they won't be able to, you know, Arsenal won't be able to stop them. Um, And, you know, you can only give credit, I guess. You know, I think, you know, Arsenal did what they needed to. They suckered City twice nicely. Um, You know, Bamiang takes the second really well. Um, City, just for me, I think, you know, City without Aguero just are not the same animal. You know, they they really do lack a a centre forward because for me, you know, Gabriel Jesus just doesn't cut, doesn't cut the mustard um, for City when he plays. They had a lot of the ball. Um, you know, Arsenal were, you know, playing that low block of just essentially, OK, you know, let them have the ball, just get back two banks, make sure, you know, nothing silly, don't sell yourselves and we'll try and catch them on the break with some pace. Exactly what Spurs kind of did to Arsenal the week before. Uh, and it worked a treat. But, you know, it, it worked because City just don't really have that cutting edge. You know, when Aguero isn't playing, you know, they don't have that striker that kind of can make those things happen. You know, if Aguero plays in that game, then I think City are a different animal um, and they go on and win it. They, you know, let's say lots of the ball, nothing really clear cut. And I just do feel that City this summer, I think they have a real quandary on their hands there because I don't see Jesus cutting it for them long term. I don't see him being the long term successor for Aguero. I think they'll have to go into the market and finally, you know, buy themselves another top striker that they can rely on to play in and around Aguero if he's not going to play and possibly, you know, become that main man for them going forward. But you've got to give credit to Arsenal. They performed, they played the tactics really well, caught City on the break. But yeah, no one saw that coming. Maybe, you know, City's new glass kit kind of put them off a little bit because that's a horror show um, and the players kind of didn't respond. Matthew, much will be made of Arteta the Apprentice getting one over Pep the Master. So they recently met in the league, or actually at the start of the restarts, not so recently, but in that game, City schooled Arsenal quite easily. So what did you make the change of outcome down to? Is it the magic of the cup? Was there more to it? Um, I think I think there is some element of you know the fact that Arteta's you know had a chance to look at Manchester City and you know, work out everything. I just I do just quickly want to take a take an issue with Carl there. Are you are you saying that Manchester City's kit was terrible? Because I think that is one of the best looking kits that I've ever seen. I like the white and uh, blue of it. It looks like you know a pool. A swimming pool when it when it's shimmering, you get that little shine on the top there. That's what <laughs> it, it looks it like to me, and, me it, and it looks brilliant <laughs> to me. It, it looks brilliant. It might grow on me. I'm just very anti-night, given their bland, boring templates that we've had to suffer for well, the last boring, few years. Have you said, but boring <laughs> template? Look at what City have just produced. But anyway, we're, we're not talking. We're not talking about kits. But that's just my mini rant about over. But now back to the initial thing. I do think that it was a case of you know. Again, as I said, Arteta having a chance to learn and adapt and see what's going on. I also think that some of it has got to go to David Luiz, who I think may have... He was certainly in the running for man of the match that night because I think after the abuse that he's got from that game at the restart where everyone calls him a clown and everyone's, uh, you know, they were laughing at the fact that he's having his contract extended, all that sort of stuff. I do think there was a little bit of, you know, chip on the shoulder from a lot of the Arsenal players, especially the likes of David Luiz, to sort of prove people wrong. And, and, you know, what better of a stage to put it against, you know, arguably one of the best 
uh, one of the best teams that we've seen in the past couple of years of English football. So I think just that little bit of extra motivation helped them out. And, uh, you know, even the guys like Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who's getting slaughtered, who gets slaughtered on Twitter for, you know, think, you know, caring too much about his hair and not producing in big moments, so on and so forth. I think that sort of stuff. I think it was mainly just the extra motivation that did it more than anything, rather than any specific, you know, tactical X's and O's sort of things. Carl, that defeat will certainly be a knock to City. Last week, we sort of discussed how they will want to win everything, especially after sticking two fingers up to UEFA. With their cup exit, it now is Europe or bust, isn't it? How much will they be gunning for that trophy? Yeah, I, I do think they would have liked to have made that statement of kind of, you know, League Cup, FA Cup, and basically saying, well, we'll go on to win everything else. So you might have picked us this season for the title but we're still going to go and win everything else we're in. And then we kind of still put ourselves in the reckoning for one of the best sides there are, not only in the country, but, you know, in Europe. So I, I now think, obviously, yeah, they will have that extra motivation now, I think, to go and win the Champions League. Um, so, it, you know, the season's done for them now. They can now rest and, and just get themselves ready for the Champions League. They were playing really well in it. You know, the way they played and, and took Madrid apart was, was very impressive. I do, like I say, I just worry for them with their cutting edge, cutting edge up front because, you know, if Sterling's not scoring and the goals are not coming there and De Bruyne's not on fire, I, like I say, I have my doubts over Jesus and I do think that unless they can get Aguero fit anytime soon, I do think that could be something that comes back to bite them in the fact that they just won't be clinical enough in front of goal in those big important matches now. And Matthew, as for Arsenal, we talk about them being a work in progress under Arteta. They're also, I say in danger, but they, they are sort of being labelled as a good cup team. Obviously, that's not a bad thing if you're winning cups, but that's not really the label that the board would want, is it? Um, no, but I think in some ways it is still a bit, of, you know, it's still a sign of progress because, you know, when was the last... Because they haven't won any... They didn't win anything under Unai Emery. They came close a couple of times. Um, so I think even just a trophy would still be seen as a bit of progress. Plus, yeah, it means they get they, it means they get into the Europa League through the cup because, you know, by the looks of it, I'm just looking at the table right now, it's highly unlikely they're going to get there through their through their league positioning. So a chance again to just say you know have another have another crack at Europe. You know Arteta with a full season rather than being you know thrown in because I think the Olympiacos is the Olympiacos tie was his first uh, was his first European tie with Arsenal. The way it, the schedule all worked out. So I think a, a full season of that, a full summer. I think it will be a, a good chance for them to show they are slowly progressing, even if it's not ideally, you know, as quickly as uh, maybe the board, you know, would have hoped. But at least it's something. Yeah, that's a fair point. Obviously, we've said many times, Carl, that Spurs, if they won a trophy, no matter what it is, be it a League Cup or an FA Cup, it is just that first step on the journey. And I think Arsenal will be looking for that under Arteta. And if they can get it this soon, then it almost seems a bit of a masterstroke bringing him in. Hopefully, from my point of view, they don't. But anyway. Cole, I'll go back to you because Manchester United, they will love to get their hands in the FA Cup. That's not happening this season. And when we talk of hands, we need to discuss those of David De Gea's because that was a real poor showing from the Spaniard on Sunday. Yeah, I, you know, I put a tweet out saying my only disappointment after that game was that Roy Keane wasn't in the studio <laughs> because I tell you now, if he said he would have punched him after the Spurs game, I would dread to think what Roy Keane would have done to De Gea after that semi-final defeat because that was a horror show performance, wasn't it? Um, and one, you know, we said last week, didn't we, we was talking about Sheffield United and Henderson, the goalkeeper. Um, 
I now think United will have a real headache on their hands in the summer uh, and Oli will be sitting there going, maybe time has run here and we've got this guy who's had an outstanding season um, and he could be, you know, possibly the player that, you know, do we now look to cash in on De Gea? Is he maybe gone? Has he shot himself? And we actually can bring this guy in and he may actually improve us because if, if we're basing, you know, picking a goalkeeper right now and performances and confidence, then De Gea just looks shot of, of all confidence for me. You know, those are those are things that are just bread and butter for goalkeepers. Shouldn't be troubling him. Um, you know, the first you could possibly say, OK, the first one, it, it's close range. Giroud nips in before the defender. I still think he should do better with the first one, but you might be able to just go, oh, OK, yeah, yeah, it's fast. It happens. It's close range. Not so bad. The second is just an absolute joke that that goes in. And even the third, just sitting there thinking, well, you know, it's very close to him. And, you know, the frustrating thing for us, Dan, is if I think back to a game at Wembley not so long ago, yeah, yeah. We, we couldn't stick anything past De Gea that night, could we? You know, it was go-go gadget arms and legs everywhere, wasn't he, that night from close range? Whereas right now, you just think, get something on target because this guy is liable to have a mistake in him. And I do think, you know, Ollie will have a big decision to make in the summer around whether, you know, they possibly recall Henderson and start making him the number one because De Gea just doesn't look the same keeper anymore. Well, that was going to be my next question to Matthew, so I'll get your input. People are saying that Dean Henderson needs to come home and take what is rightfully his. Can you see him being the undisputed number one next season at Old Trafford? I think he's got a he's he's made his case he's made his case to be so, but I think it really does all bow down to is someone going to want to come in and buy David De Gea? That's it, yeah. Because I mean, we can say that Dean Henderson is you know arguably England's future number one and Man United's number one. The, it, the, he's got someone in his way at the moment, and it's going to take a lot. This isn't like some aging goalkeeper. This isn't like Chelsea getting, no, Arsenal rather, getting rid of Petr Cech in his waning years where we can see the end of the rise. David Hero is, I think, still 29. So he's still in the, you know, in the peak, as it were, of his career in terms of age. It's going to have to take someone to come in and buy him to want to, uh, for Dean Henderson to get out of the way. And given the way that David De Gea is performing recently, do you really see anyone being interested in bringing him in, you know who are the you know who are the big clubs around Europe? Uh, Bayern Munich, I'm sure Manuel Neuer would have something to say about that. Atletico Madrid, where he started his career, I'm sure Jan Oblak would have something to say about that. Um, Chelsea, would Manchester United really sell to someone in the Premier League like that? Uh, Real Madrid, I just assume Courtois is still the number one there, but I have no idea what's going on over there. Barcelona, I'm sure Stegen has got that position locked down. Who's going to want to come and buy Davide? I think that's really the problem. Unless Man United are willing to let him go for twenty million, which will not happen, I can't see da- I can't see David De Gea leaving Manchester United this uh, you know this summer or even in the in the near future. So, so I think Dean Henderson's probably best to look elsewhere if we're if we're being brutally honest. And David De Gea's probably you know I, I want to say stuck. There are there are worse places to be stuck, but I can't see him going anywhere. Just I don't see anyone wanting to come in and buy him. Carl, when we take Matthew's point, I guess it reinforces what we were discussing last night in the sense that you're going to see players of, you know, not quite world-class quality, but of the upper brackets that are probably going to be stuck because clubs are going to have less money and they're not really going to want to buy players that are out of sorts. So you could add the highest list of Ali and Ndombele and I imagine there's going to be a fair few more unless boards and clubs say, 
half price sale, they've got to go. Yeah, well, you know, it, as you say, Danny, it's exactly what we said last night with someone like Deli Alley, isn't it? You know, at the moment, he isn't setting the world alight and, and hasn't for a couple of seasons now. So with money being tight, you rightly say, when those top clubs are looking to spend the sort of funds they've got to, at the moment now, teams are not going to be in the market for luxury players that they can just go and pick off and say, well, yeah, OK, we'll get Deli Alley as well, but we still need a right back. You know, the view will be if we need right back and a left back, they're our priority and that's all we're going to spend that money on. And, and the luxury player isn't on our radar right now, unless, as you say, someone, you know, you, you've got a club that are suddenly prepared to let a player go for silly money and, Let's face it, there's no chance, I think, if you if you took the Deli Alley example, Levy is not going to let one of those assets go that probably most other years could get you 50 to 60 million. He's not suddenly going to go, well, OK, I'll just take 30 because of the circumstances. He'd rather hang on to that player than let him go. And as you rightly say, clubs who are looking to spend some limited money this summer are now just going to look to bolster their priority positions and they're not going to go and you know go crazy and you know go and round everything up they can in the market so yeah there i think we'll see some big players potentially staying put just because of the circumstances that we're going to see given you know everything around covid and and the financial hit that everyone's taken and matthew if david zahay had a in different game, you could say the same against. Uh, sorry, same say the same against Harry Maguire because he scored an own goal, and also recently Junior Stanislas had him on toast. So there's some indifferent performances. I'm not saying he's a complete bust, but when you're looking at a 75 million pound player, he's not quite living up to that at the moment, is he? Uh, yeah, and I think that's something that's really going to be brought against him is is, is the price tag. You know, it's, it's not his fault that Aaron no. Maguire was worth was worth uh, I think eighteen seventy five eighteen million whatever the fee was. It's not his fault. Um, that's just the way that the market goes. And he's English, and Leicester were just willing to hang on and hang on and say, okay, we've reached a number. Off you go, son. Um, yeah, I again, I think we, I think I said this about Jordan Pickford last week. I think a lot of them are basing their career and basing their you know value is being based off the fact that the England team managed to make one World Cup semi-final and now it's being home to Rooster. They are they're good players. I'm not going to say Harry Maguire is a terrible player. I still maintain that when it comes to uh, defenders playing the ball out from the back, he's probably still the best that England have. I'd say he's probably still England's best defender. You know, overall, you know, if you regard his aerial ability as well. But I just I just don't think he's worth all that. I, I get we're putting it against what we think he should be rather than what he actually is. And you can say that about, you know, about a lot of the, you know, main players, you know, the defense around him isn't really all that. If we're being honest, yeah, we talked about, you know, De Gea. Um, I think, I think the Manchester United team and Maguire is as one example, are just being found out that, you know, they just got lucky and they're not all that they, all that they could be. Right, that's enough of the FA Cup. Congrats to Chelsea, etc., etc. because we've got a lot of Premier League chat to run through. Where should we go first? Let's go to that revolving door at Vicarage Road because it's been back in action over the last couple of days. Cole, a decision that I think will leave many people stunned, especially Nigel Pearson, and I guess we'll only know if it's the right decision come the end of this week. Yeah, it is very bizarre, isn't it? Um, you know, you, you just it's clearly a club that have got no real kind of direction and, and knowledge about where they want to go. And, and they're just thinking, let's just try anything we can to kind of see if we get lucky rather than actually coming up with a kind of, you know, plan. 
this is what we're going to do. This is how we want to do it. Let's go and get someone in who we think can, you know, deliver that. And we're going to stick with them and give them time. You know, they purely are just thinking, right, this bloke, see, maybe this bloke's magic's worn off. Let's just get rid of him and bring someone else in. And hopefully we'll get a bit of a bounce from there. You know, it, it was a disappointing result against West Ham. Um, obviously, you know, it wasn't the greatest performance in the first half. But then you kind of think they come out in the second half and they win the second half. So clearly at half time. Nigel's done something that you think has kind of suddenly motivated those players, you know, lifted them up and they suddenly come out, prove a point and win the second half. Given the way they've played under him so far, um, I just can't see the logic in getting rid of him and not just now letting him see this, see this out and, and kind of maybe trusting the fact that, you know, he could possibly do what they need for them this season and keep them safe. I don't think anyone thought it was a long-term appointment by any means. I just don't see the point of now getting rid of him um, with these couple of games to go. I can understand, again, like I say, if they'd maybe collapse against West Ham and conceded six or seven, and you thought, well, this guy doesn't seem to be having any effect at all. But they come out in the second half and prove a point and kind of up their performance. So you still got to think, well, maybe he can be getting something from them. Um, it, whoever, like I say, they're running the club and it's just a shambles and they're making themselves a bit of a laughing stock. And when you do things like that, that they've done, then I think, you know, most people actually go, well, actually, I wouldn't mind seeing you drop now because if that's the way you're running the club and you're doing, you know, stupid stuff like this, then I hope it backfires and you get egg on your face. Um, it shambles. But, you know, Nigel's taking it well, isn't he? You know, he's been very dignified in his responses and everything to it. I'm sure, listen, I'm sure the financial package he's got, he's not, you know, going to be that disappointed. But it just doesn't send the right message when club owners do this and have that sort of revolving door policy. Yeah, I've always said that Watford, they just lack identity and they lack ideas. They don't know what they're doing. They're always just happy to be a Premier League club, which is fine. It's their right. But you get a feeling it will get them in the end. Where it gets them on Sunday, who knows? And as you say, Cole, some of you are probably thinking, fingers crossed, because it's just really poor the way they, they go about their business. But for them, it is working. With that said, Matthew... Why have they got so jittery and why have they got such short memories for Pearson's work? Because when he took them over, they were six points from safety. They're now three points clear. Discuss. I, mean, I don't know what there is to, to, to discuss because that would indicate that there's some sort of logic behind what's going on. <laughs> um, my, only, my only thought, and I, you know, I agree with what Carl said, you know, the fact that he you know, won the second half against West Ham, put in a, a decent enough performance. My only line of thought is... Their last two fixtures are Manchester City and Arsenal, who are, you know, arguably games that you would not expect them to win in any sort of circumstance. Now, Arsenal may be in a situation now where they're going to rest players for the FA Cup uh, final coming up in well, a couple of weeks. Uh, I forget when the exact date is. 4th of August, I think, whenever. Um, so maybe they he's not going to do well against Man City and Arsenal. Let's get in a manager who we think can do well against Manchester City and Arsenal. Now, seeing as they're playing tonight, I don't think that's enough time for them to get in uh, Sam Allardyce. Even though he would have been, I think, most people's uh, bet bet to do that. But maybe they're just thinking he won't he won't do it. Let's try this guy and just try let's try and you know is their fourth manager of the year this this next person will be. So again, just a just a one a two game gamble, as it were. I, that's my only logic is he's not going to do it. He may do it. 
you get but it gets well. You know, you're getting rid of a manager who was the first team to to topple Liverpool. Yeah, good point. This season, great point. You know, with you know the first I mean, team. I, I, to I, Liverpool. I absolutely agree with you. I don't understand it either. I'm just trying to put my mind in the minds of the, you know, the idiots who are running Watford at this point, <laughs> and I'm just trying to go with any sort of vague rationale. What it's a 0.001% chance that, that is what they actually tried. But given this Watford board, there's a good chance that is what they are actually doing. Well, you mentioned the goal difference threat, and that was on my notes for Cole. So there is that risk. There's also Aston Villa, who I wouldn't say they're resurgent, but they're not going down without a fight. So have they sort of done the maths and thought, this still could go against us? With that said, do you think it will go against them? Yeah, as we've said, you know... I don't. You don't understand the, the whole reasoning and and what they're thinking behind it because you know, say you know, Watford have had some performances where they've looked really good, and you think, well, yeah, you know, Nigel's come in and got something from them, as we say, when you consider where they were when he came in, because I think for all intents and purposes, they were gone. Every one of us was sitting there saying, well, Watford are gone. You know, there's one place. There's now a fight for two places of who's going down because Watford are just looking a shambles. He's come in and kind of got everyone going there. Um, they, they say there is no logic to what they've done. Whatever they think they might get here, a new manager kick, um, can it be done? I think they may just get lucky, you know. I think they may just get lucky and they may survive. But it, it won't be down to the shrewdness of a chairman who kind of thinks I'll get four managers in over the course of a season uh, and that should work for us and keep us up. Um, I think they'll survive. I think they'll I think they'll just do enough to, to keep them keep themselves in the Premier League for next season. But as you say, if you're a Watford fan right now, I would seriously be questioning the people running my club and where they're going to take us in the future. Because unless you suddenly, unless the next appointment is someone that you can see there's a long term plan coming, which, like as you say, given what they've done, it's not going to be. They're going to bring in a name that they think might just get them a reaction and get them safe. But then, you know, they're not going to, surely that's not going to work next season. So I think Watford fans should be really concerned about how the club's being run. As you said, Dan, what is their identity? What's going to be their roadmap for the future? Because it just looks like at the moment, whoever's got it, it just, you know, goes home and sees a name in the papers one day and thinks, oh, actually, he could be quite good. Yeah, let me just get rid of this next bloke now and bring this guy for the games. Never going to work. They might get lucky this season, but I think you could find next season could be one too many for them. Well, you look at the final day of the season, they've got Arsenal. And what's the perfect manager you probably want to sort of get a point out of a game like that? Nigel Pearson. You couldn't think of a better man, really, to get that job done. It's crazy. But with that said, Matthew, it is a poison chalice, but someone will always take it because they are, at the moment, at least, a Premier League club. But there is still a level of attraction. The name being linked at the moment is Claude Puel. doesn't really inspire you, does it, that, uh, that link, does it? No, it doesn't. I want to say, you know, you say Nigel Pearson's the man that you want to get them out. I believe Tony Pulis is still alive, so I'm pretty sure he'd be another name that you want to, unless unless some tragedy has no, been his household since I last since I last checked. I'm pretty sure he would he would want to have his name thrown into that ring. Um, but yeah, Claude Puel uh, is just another is just another. I, he that that is 
the perfect name of you know the perfect manager who will be gone by October. Yeah, well, exactly. Not, well, not October because the way the well three months into the season, so what be it'll be December, I think. You get the point. After ten games, basically, yeah. he's the perfect man that you think will be gone after ten games because they'll be sixteenth, having won three games, three draws, and three losses. Um, yeah, I can I can imagine that's that's going to be that's going to be another one to just add just add to the turntable. So I'm not really going to pay much attention to it because I don't really have any faith in there being a long-term plan on Watford. Oh, you're absolutely right. There's no way that if Claude Puel gets the Watford job as a Premier League club, he's in the job for the whole season. He'll be gone, like you say, further the season in, rinse, wash, repeat. There could be six, seven managers down the line from the start of this season to the next. It's absurd. But of course, Carl, that defeat to West Ham on Friday, as you mentioned, was the catalyst for all this happening. 3-0 down at half-time. Not quite the blood and gut six-pointer that we all hoped for. No, yeah, say so Watford's first half were just a shambles, weren't they? All all over the place and, and kind of warranted being free down, you know. And, and West Ham played well, you know, you know, moving it around. Declan Rice, is, is, since the restart, I've been quite impressed with Declan Rice. He's looking good. You've got no ball there as well. Um, but just Watford were just all over the shop. But like I say, you know, there obviously something happened at half time where, you know, they get themselves together. They kind of dust themselves off you know, give each other a bit of a wake-up. And then they come out in the second half. And, you know, obviously, granted, West Ham probably felt job done. We've done enough here. So we don't, you know, we don't need to go full for lever anymore. Um, and, and that was the win that's kind of given them safety. So, but you've got to give Watford credit for coming out and kind of suddenly putting in a better performance rather than crumbling. Um, and again, that is why it's such a myth. Um, but yeah, we was expecting this blood and thunder guts game, weren't we? And kind of all of a sudden that was shot very quickly down. And by the time the first half ended, you just thought, wow, you know, I, I didn't see this coming. I thought this would be a real tight, tense game. Um, but credit to West Ham and, and like I say credit for Watford for coming out in the second half and kind of winning that. And at least, you know, salvaging some form of pride from that game. Matthew, can we lay claim to Mikhail Antonio being one of the best players since the restart? Seven goals since that phase beginning. Admittedly, four of them came against Norwich in one game, but his efforts have almost kept the hammers up on their own. Yeah, I don't know if we want to start you know, a player of the first part of the season, a player of the second half of the season, just to send out two awards. But yeah, I think Mikhail Antonio is is one of the... I think Mikhail Antonio and a lot of West Ham players, you know, Carl mentioned Declan Rice putting in a decent performance. I think there's just a hint of... Um, they they finally had that that realization moment of oh bugger we're actually right in the thick of this right now so we're going to have to start we're going to have to start putting our uh, fingers into gear as it were and i think michael antonio has just you know been the beneficiary of the you know of it, of the most um it would be if we're being pretty honest but yeah all credit to him maybe he's maybe he's one of these players that's lingering for a move i wouldn't blame him given the way the west ham you know don't seem to be making much progress so he's thinking hang on i'm getting out of this so a couple of goals here and there might get me a move to you know a higher club or you know an everton or a southampton or something along those lines you know maybe Declan rice in the same vein as well i know he'll be linked with manchester united probably until the day he dies um so Maybe that's you know what's sparing them on is the fact that a we're staring down a relegation battle. B we're probably going to be facing a relegation battle again next year with you know certified winner David Moyes in charge. So I want to get out of here as quick as possible. So I better get I better put my arse in gear. So there's one team that looks like they are going down. That's Bournemouth, and their feet could be confirmed by the end of tonight. That being Tuesday, a real tough set of circumstances for the Cherries on Sunday because just when it looked like they were a good value for a point, Carl, 
VAR rules it out, and then Che Adams scores down the other end to double the Saints' advantage. So a real hammer blow for the Cherries. Yeah, it was a real sucker blow, wasn't it? You know, just when they think they get themselves a point that kind of puts, you know, gives them a lifeline and, and gives them something to fight for, it's snatched away from them and then right down the other end. And suddenly, if you like, your fate is kind of sealed. But it, it's been, it's kind of been coming, isn't it? You know, they, they've looked lost since the restart. Um, you know, they've, they've put in a couple of performances here and there where you think, okay. You know, they haven't looked bad. You know, the game against Spurs at home, I thought they looked much better. And in all truth, you know, should probably should have come away with three points that night by the end of that. Um, and they'd probably be kicking themselves because they, you know, if those three points really paint a different picture for them. But, but I just don't think, you know, I, I think that's a club where I think you've got possibly players that have probably realised this could be it. I think you've had a manager that probably should have moved on and, and, you know, did he stay just that one season too many? And I think actually for Bournemouth and their Premier League status, it might have been we've clung on and done the best we can. But actually, I think time is up on them and I think we'll probably see them go and it'll probably be tonight that that will get confirmed. And then I actually start to worry a little bit for them um, after that because... They've not the biggest club in terms of resources and everything. You know, the ground only holds 13,000. So they can't, you know, generate mass revenue. They'll, you know, Eddie Howe, I'd be surprised if he stays around. I think if that goes, then I think he leaves and probably then starts looking at the next job he can take in the Premier League. Um, they'll be certain, they'll, you know, their best players will be cherry-picked. You know, there's no way they're keeping Ake. Wilson will probably get a move. Josh King will probably get a move. Brooks, the young lad, I'm sure there'll be plenty of Premier sides eyeing him up right now because um, he looks pretty good and, and a really good prospect. So then you kind of start to worry about what can they do. And you just do worry that for Bournemouth, there could be a little slide coming where they could be one of those teams that drop out of the Premier League and then suddenly start dropping down a couple of divisions quite rapidly. Matthew, I was going to ask you a question about Danny Ings, but this has popped into my head. It's a bit more interesting. So could you criticise Eddie Howe for not really lacking acumen in the transfer market? If I give you some examples, Jordan Ibe, Dominic Solanke, Brad Smith, that combines from Liverpool, 40 million. Uh, Benic Fobi, 12 million, got one goal per six matches in the Premier League. Lewis Graben came back to Bournemouth for about 8 million, never scored a goal. So... They're not like one massive error, but they all add up. And when you put them into the picture, that has probably been the beginning of the, well, how should you say, the end of the sort of golden period for Bournemouth. And those bad transfer strategies have caught up with them in the end. Yeah, I think Eddie Howe sort of comes across more of a, more of a coach than a manager. So if you were to give him give him the players, as it were, uh, give him you know players with potential, then he might be able to get something out of them. But when it comes to actually spotting talent, he may not be he may not be the you know the brightest spark in the place to keep the sparks. So I so I think that is probably a case of that coming up. I also I think just in terms of Bournemouth in general, they're always you know punching them up above their weight. Um, so I think it's just a case of finally they were they were always probably at this level throughout their stage in the Premier League, whereas now everyone else just got slightly better. You know, no one expected Sheffield United to come up and do the job they did. Everyone was expecting Newcastle to struggle. They did better than they did. Um, Crystal Palace, I'm sure everyone suggested them to struggle. Brighton as well. 
everyone expected them to struggle. They just got better, and Bournemouth just sort of stayed the same. Yeah, I think Wigan. You know, they were a team who, you know, for six or seven years, you know, were battling relegation, battling relegation, and then finally it just dropped off for them when everyone else got better. But I do just want to take um, not 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 take issue with, but with some with what Carl said about you know Bournemouth and their future. I don't think it's going to be all that bad for them when you consider because you mentioned about the stadium, but I know they're talking about expanding that and that's going to be more revenue and you talk about selling the players I heard Nathan Ackley's being linked with the move today for 35 million to Manchester City now that I think is going to be something that could really you know help revitalize you know we just talked about Eddie Howe and you know his you know mismanagement when it comes to buying players but if we are to assume he's going to go whoever the next manager is at Bournemouth is going to have a lot of you know assets to work with if, if Nathan Ackley goes if uh, David Brooks goes. I think he'll. I think he will go as well. And there's a couple of uh, their goalkeeper as well. I think he's done a very good job. I think he could earn a couple of million uh, here or there. So I think that I don't think it's as bleak as some people think it's going to be for Bournemouth. And I would expect them to put a, put up a decent challenge in the Championship to come up to the Premier League next year. It's like any Championship team that gets relegated. If they can bounce back straight away, they absorb that sort of shock factor. It's only when you get caught second, first season in team like Swansea, who are sort of not really threatening to get back up, really, in the sort of grand scheme of things. They don't want to be in that position. And Bournemouth, I think, spend a lot more in wages than they do turnover. So it's not like financial crisis, but I don't think they can be in a position where the parachute payments run out and they're still in the championship. So time will be of the essence, as is with this show. So we better hurry up, because let's, um, let's go to North London, the white half of it. I was going to mention Danny Ings, but let's mention Jamie Vardy. He's top of the golden boot chart still, a two-goal advantage. Cole, a quiet evening for him on Sunday. And also now, Leicester's top four hopes are not in their hands anymore. It's all going wrong in East Midlands. Yeah, I didn't think in that game against us, Dan, at the weekend, Leicester started too badly. I thought, you know, they, they were looking bright, weren't they? You know, they were attacking nicely down the right side. Vardy had a couple of opportunities. One that got, you know, was a really good block that I think, you know, would have caused us some problems if if the block hadn't had come in from out of Earold. Um but he wasn't as effective as I thought he was going to be against us, given his pace. And, and I think, actually, he was just marshalled really well by Sanchez and Adeverdald. You know, they had one of their really good games as a partnership coming back. And then Leicester kind of just dropped off the pace, I think, in the second half, where they had a lot of the ball, but never really looked too dangerous with it. Um, I, we discussed the other night, I think, you know, there was one point at 1-0, um, Lloris makes that brilliant save from Perez and again I think if that goes in and makes it one all, then I think Leicester might have actually gone on and possibly turned the screw a little bit there it didn't they then go and concede two you know if you like poor goals on the counter-attack from their point of view you know the first the guys on Sky rightly said you know the defender's got to show Son outside because you know he wants to cut in um and they've kind of, they've come back really hit and miss from the restart, haven't they? You know, that form they were showing before has dropped off. They miss Madison in midfield in those games. And, that you know, obviously the suspensions, which, you know, have cost them. And we did say that those suspensions could really hurt them. And it looked like it did on Sunday against us. I think, oh, you know, I, I just think they might end up missing, missing out. And they'll be they'll be kicking themselves if they do. Um, but Vardy will score goals, that's for sure. You know whether he stays around again. I think that's the interesting thing as to what happens in Leicester in the summer. You know, can they hang on to Madison? Will Vardy stay? 
can they build, can Rod, can Brendan build on that side that he's got and bring some quality in? If they can and they can keep everybody, I think they can go again and have another good season. But it looks like they may just fall short and they, they've really only got themselves to blame for the way that they've come back since we've been restarted. Matthew, Carl and I spoke at length yesterday about Mourinho Ball on our Come On You Spurs podcast. So I want to get your take on the current output. 13 points for the last 15 on offer. It's not pretty, but it's very hard to argue with this style at the moment, even though that flair has been sacrificed. It is, but you know, what do you expect when it comes to a Jose Mourinho team? I don't, when is he? When is he? When was the last time he was known for entertaining football? You know, arguably his first season at Chelsea. Um, so you, you get what you paid for. We're getting you're getting effective results. You're you know, as you know as we sit. Um, in the driving seat when it comes to European football in the Europa League, or no Manchester City, as we discussed earlier, Chelsea Arsenal Cup result pending, um, but there's still some level of progress when it comes to, when it comes to. Them. And I think you know it's a good stead for for what happens next season. Along so long as you know there's no, no major changes, so long as you know Lloris doesn't decide to retire, for instance, or Alderweireld doesn't say right I'm off. Or Harry Kane doesn't, you know, develop an ankle injury yet again. I, I don't see why there should be any reason for any major concern. They've, you obviously you know, turned turned things around, you know, as of as of the restart. So you're getting results. What's there? What's there really to complain about? I know I'm saying this from an outsider, and I know you guys can pick eight thousand different problems for the Spurs side that I am not seeing because you watch a lot a lot more stringently than I do. But I just don't see what you know what there is to be complaining about at Spurs right now. Well, I agree with that, to be honest, Matthew. We haven't really got time to go through those 8,000 points because I want to talk about the team that they're fighting for that potentially last Europa League place, that being Wolves. They won last night. Actually, it's not really about them, to be honest, Carl. It's more about Crystal Palace. Now, we joke about them being on the beach. It's now seven straight losses for the Eagles. There's got to be a greater concern starting to steep in. Yeah, I, I think we said, didn't we, Dan, that you, know, you wonder how much longer Hot Roy will get there um, and whether eventually Palace will have to start asking the question of like, right, where are we going next? Um, clearly, Roy isn't here for the long term. You know, at some point we will need to bring someone else in. You know, if, if you just want survival, then I would say you stick with Roy Hodgson because there's a good chance, you know, you'll get that with him. But I think you'll see what's happening now is what you're going to get. You know, if you're safe, then you could see your season suddenly, you know, go very boring. You won't pick up many wins. There's not much exciting football happening. And I just think Palace, if they survive, I wouldn't be too surprised if they make a change in the summer and look to bring someone else in. Now, we know, again, they're a club that have tried this before and it hasn't really worked out for them. And, you know, it, it's kind of come to bite them on the bum as such. But I do think they're at a point now where I think they need to say, where are we going? How do we want to get there? What's going to be our identity? Because we need to start moving on. And, and actually, you know, we don't want to take this form into the start of next season because we've seen many sides do that, you know, finish the season poorly and then suddenly start the next one in the same vein. And before you know it, you're staring down at, you know, survival and trying to fight to stay in the Premier League. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a change at Palace this summer. That's going to be the question to Matthew, because I know you won't have a bad word said against Roy Hodgson, but do Palace twist in the relatively short off-season, knowing that they've got that awful head of momentum behind them? If they get it to a bad start, you think, hang on, the writing could be on the wall quite early. So do they stick? Do they twist? What would you do? I think it really depends on what sort of club 
you know, Crystal Palace want to be? Do they want to be? You know, we hear about uh, with this with Mike Ashley at Newcastle. You know, so long as they're in the Premier League and he's getting the money, then that's absolutely fine. Are Crystal Palace in that same vein? So long as we're in the Premier League, I, you know, we don't care who, we don't care what, you know, what's going on. If that's the case, then I don't see any reason why Roy Hodgson should, why Roy Hodgson should leave. He'll keep you in the Premier League. He won't do any great guns in, in any of the cups, and you won't be challenging for Europe, but you'll be in the Premier League. So it really does depend if Crystal Palace now want to take that step forward because they were you know, a bit choppy under um, under De Boer when they went, was it four games without scoring a goal? And they thought, hang on, this might not work. So let's get a steady ship just to keep us going. He's been going for now three years, I think, something yeah, along those lines. Right. So it now depends, right, do they want to move forward and become a team that is challenging for Europe, you know, like Wolves are doing right now, or, you know, Tottenham progressively moved up, you know, in the late 2000s, started slowly moving up the table. Do they want to be like them? It really does depend on what Crystal Palace want to be. So that's going to be really the key decision on on whether or not Roy Hodgson has a, on whether or not Roy Hodgson has a future at Selhurst Park. And, you know, be brutalized, I wouldn't blame. I wouldn't blame them for, you know, letting, for letting Roy Hodgson go this summer because I think you know he's done his job now is the time to move on and move forward well this is it Cole I don't want to be ageist and get a lawsuit on the real football cast towards the end of the season but it can't go on forever there is going to have to be a transition soon and when you're sort of steering a ship which has lost seven in, in the end of the season maybe eight come Sunday that might be the natural point to say thanks for everything Roy but we've got to go in a new direction now yeah, I, I think so. I think they are coming to a point at the end of this season where you sit there and go, well, listen, you know, as you say, has this guy possibly reached the end of his time? Is he getting the most out of players anymore? You know, does, does, can he can he do it still? Um, and, I, and I actually think there probably is the right time for them to sit there and say, let's look at the right, you know, if you like that, that let's look at where we want to be and what our identity is going to be in the next couple of years. And I think now's the right time to start looking at that make a change get someone in uh, and you know because you won't lose many I mean again I think you know when we're talking about those transfers I put Wilf Sahar in that mix of the same with Deli Ali Dan you know he probably wants to go but who do you really see actually thinking yeah you know what let's go and get Sahar this summer because I think he really makes a difference to us so I think he, players like him may actually stay given the you know the financial situation so I think there you might have enough talent where you can go and get someone in and say, well, look, here you go. You've still got a decent squad. So now do what you can and that, that's see where you can take the club. But they need to come up with that identity and, so I say, not be afraid if it doesn't start off too well. Right, just need to wrap up the Premier League bits before we move to Championship Corner. So Norwich lost to Burnley. The Norwich players, obviously, are packed up and ready to go. Two of their players on holiday already with those outrageous sendings off. Everton beat Sheffield United. That win extinguishes any hope for the Blades getting into Europe. Of course, not a bad season. I haven't got time to talk about Everton in depth today, which we seem to be missing, but I think that's more because they're in the mid-table. But hopefully next week, I want to talk about their litany of bad recruitment since mashiri has been the shareholder. I've got a name of about a dozen players that are all bust, and I think it costs about £250 million. So we'll discuss that next week. Remind me to do so. But now we're going to go to Championship Corner. And Matthew, of course, I'll start with you. Are you, Fulham, ready to pay the bad guys and potentially send Wigan down, or at least stop them getting that necessary points buffer, especially as now the top two is not out of sight for you. So talk me through it, mate. What are you going to do? It depends how long you've got. I could take an hour <laughs> discussing all the permutations of the championship. The quick it, version, really, but... I'll, I'll be as quick as I can. It really is baffling because 
a couple of weeks ago, you know, West Brom and Brentford seemed to be, you know, battling between themselves for second place. They went through bad runs. They've they've suddenly lost. They've suddenly lost form. Brentford somehow lost to Stoke. So now all of a sudden, when Fulham fans were thinking, right, we'll just sell for fourth place. Let's see who we get in the playoffs. All of a sudden, we're now one game away from from being second place if results go our way. But that's just at the top of the table. Going down at the bottom, you have, I think, six teams now who are, you know, mathematically, realistically, in with a relegation chart. You've got uh, Hull, I think, are more or less gone. It's Charlton, Luton, Birmingham City, and a couple of others who name, whose name is skating right now. I think Middlesbrough are in there with... The, it is just... Yeah, it is just baffling how we get to this stage of the season, final game, and there is so much that's yet to be decided. You asked me about Wigan, I think that's really going to be a big, a big story because the uh, you know ruling came in yesterday that they're basically going to have their twelve point deduction added on essentially as soon as the full time whistle goes. So they, despite the fact that they are twelfth, I think in the division, they still got something to fight for. So in what would usually be a game for Fulham to roll over the team that is on the beach. All of a sudden, we're we're against a team that's fighting for something, and we need all the help we can get because we need Brentford to lose and we need West Brom to lose. Which brings me on perfectly to my next point, Mr. Daniel. I believe you like to call yourself the kiss of death on the show, and it worked perfectly last week when I asked you for it. So, with this in mind, and Carl, I'll make you sort of beneficiary of this as well. If you can get the um, kiss of death message out, you know, praising West Brom and Brentford tonight, I will, on Carl's behalf, buy one of those Manchester City new shirts. And I will burn it ceremoniously just to make Carl happy for you. So if you could please, Daniel, I leave the floor open to you. Okay, I'll do the Brentford one. Carl, if you want to do the West Brom one so we share the load. So as as I said last week, Brentford are the best team in the world. Carl, over to you. Yeah, I mean, you know, West Brom, what can you say? Fantastic season. I can't see no one stopping them. They're not going to slip up. Um, They'll make it. And yeah, you know, Premier League, here they come. There Perfect. We... And Dan, and Dan, just to make sure you're not left out of the loop, I'll burn an Arsenal shirt for you as well. How about that? Uh, yep, yeah, it's on. I look forward to it. So there's a couple more championship bits I want to talk about. You mentioned Hull, Matthew. Where on earth has it gone wrong there? Because I know you posted an image about halfway through the season, eighth on the fringes of the playoff. Now, rock bottom. They couldn't have fallen worse like a stone. How has that happened? Um, they it, it, it boggles the mind more than the Watford situation. I think they thought that they were in a position where, you know, Jared Bowen was attracting a lot of interest from Premier League sides. And we thought, hang on, we're not going to get promoted this year. But if we reinvest the money that we get from Jared Bowen, you know, then come next season, we'll be able, you know, come the summer, we'll be able to buy, you know, two or three decent championship players and, you know, and make a bill from there. You know, we'll sacrifice this season, move on to next. And then they just realised how much of a one-man team they were because they have plummeted since then. I think it's six points that they've picked up maybe maybe in the calendar year. I don't know. It's honestly been Jeff. I think they they gambled and lost badly. On the, I think that's re- I think that's really the best way. Hull have been sort of struggling. You know, Andy Robertson uh, w- uh, went to Liverpool. Harry Maguire as well. They sold him to Sheffield uh, United. No, not not Sheffield. They sold him to Leicester. Sorry, down the years. Um, and again, similar to Wigan, I mentioned earlier, and similar to Bournemouth, I think it's just finally hit home that that model is unsustainable and it's hit them hard in a big, big way. Of course, Cole, at the top of the table, we cannot forget Leeds. Not only promoted, they're now champions. So how much of a welcome addition will they and Marcelo Bielsa be to the Premier League next season? 
Yeah, I don't, not many people, you know, I think, are too fond of Leeds coming well, up. This is it, no. 30 Leeds tag, as they say. You know, they're not going to be the sort of team that many roll out the red carpet and say, we're really glad to have you here and, you know, we can't wait for the experience. But you've got to say fair credit to them. You know, they've been knocking on the door for the last couple of seasons. And this year, they've finally got themselves over the line and make that long-awaited return. And they are a massive club. There's no doubt about it. You know, they are in this country, one of the biggest sides. So to have them back, you know, and you get the sort of Leeds and Man United fixtures again, then in some ways, it's a good thing. Um, It'd be interesting to see how Bielsa comes and does what he does in the Premier League. I think that's going to be a really interesting next season. You know, can they cope with the pace? Because obviously one of the things that he does, and I think it's probably been one of the things that has kind of, you know, caught up with them over the course of their campaigns to try and get back, is he works them so hard nonstop all season long um, that those players are, you know, prone to being burnt out. But by the time, the, you know, that running comes, and I think that's affected them in their last few years in their final push. And maybe this, you know, restart and that break just before the end of the season kind of helped them out a little bit, get them over the line. It'll be interesting. I, you know, can they come up and do what Sheffield United and Wolves have done? I'm not so sure. I think they will just look to come up, stay up, whatever at whatever cost, just stay up and then start to build from there. But I am really interested to start seeing uh, what Bielsa does when he gets in the Premier League. Yeah, you mentioned dirty leads. A lot of people are sort of celebrating the fact they're back in the, the top level of English football, but they're not that likeable a team. They're not dirty leads for, for no reason. I think when you get to sort of 10 games down the season, people will start to remember what a blight they are. They're sort of that team that you want to be competitive bloodying noses but when they bloody your own nose you think oh that's bloody Leeds again so I think you know just approach with caution but I think you're right in the sense that they are going to be a welcome addition especially Bielsa even for a season it'll be great to see how he compares himself against the best in the league already Matthew very quickly Danny Cowley kept Huddersfield up after beating West Brom sacked on Sunday what's happened there? I, th- I think similar to similar to uh, no in fact not similar to what's going on with Watford I think in the I think he was someone brought in to to keep to keep them up, but they just don't see a future, a long term future with him. And I think what's going to be key is the way they've gone with who they who they want to replace him because they're bringing in Carlos Carbaran. Carbaran, I can't pronounce his last name, from Leeds United. And I think that is going to be absolutely crucial because they want to copy the Bielsa model, similar to how in the past couple of years, you know, any, you know, Jurgen Klopp and everyone who, you know, he's going to be like Jurgen Klopp. That's how Thomas Tuchel got, uh, you know, uh, gets lauded. That's how Ralph Hasenhutl gets a job. You know, any of his assistants, um, uh, David Wagner, uh, he got a job basically because we want to be like Jurgen Klopp. I think Huddersfield are trying to be like Bielsa in a sense. So they've got him plus the context that he's going to bring from Leeds. You know, Leeds have got a very good academy with some very good young players coming in. On a financial aspect next season, clubs in the Championship League 1 and League 2 are going to have to rely on loan players. So he's going to have basically a Premier League club as a feeder for him to, to borrow some decent players. So if he can replicate what... You know, Bielsa has done at Huddersfield. I think is a very good appointment. It's just a case of Danny Cowley just wasn't going to get them as far, you know, given the progress that they would have initially hoped. I think that's really what the thinking was behind it. That's a fair point. I guess it's a sense of Emperor's new clothes at Huddersfield because you mentioned David Wagner. It's copied the Klopp mould. And now it's all actually, it's copied the Bielsa mould. So they've got to be careful themselves about trying to find identity and a lack of ideas that 
It may have worked before with one style. If they keep flip-flopping every two, three years, how does that sort of really progress them up the table and into the Premier League again? Who knows? I don't know for now because we've run out of time. And that means I've got to do the admin, which is as simple as thanking my co-host for a sterling effort this afternoon. Matthew, you're up first. Thanks for joining me once again. I hope you enjoyed that one. Thank you very much. As you know, it's always a pleasure to be on here. Fantastic, mate. And Cole, this is the penultimate episode out of the way. One more to go. The end of season party next week. I hope you're looking forward to that one. Yeah, definitely. You know, always enjoy talking football with you guys. Top hang on, hang on. End of, end of season parties. Does that mean I have to bring Connect Four for you for you guys to play? That's, is that is that the deal? That's right. Bring a ball game, maybe some snacks, um, some soft drinks. <laughs> we're we're going to go. We're going to go crazy next week. So with that out of the way, and with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is the Real Football Cast, and until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network.